It was a book written some years ago um, that started in this manner, revolving upon its own axis and describing an ample circuit through the boundless fields of space is a planet of the solar system bearing upon its surface a population of nearly a thousand million subject to sin, disease and death. This orb of the starry heaven shines with a glory similar to that of its kindred spheres. Viewed from them, it is seen sparkling like a diamond in the sky and with the rest of the heavens declares the glory of God and shows forth the handiwork of him that did create it. The celestial orb, which is a world or system of itself, is styled the earth. It is the habitation of races of animals which graze its fields, lurk in its forests, soar to its atmosphere and pass through the paths. At the head of these is a creature like themselves, animal, sensual and man. He has replenished the earth and subdued it and filled it with his renown. Now, I suspect many of you that are will know where that quote is taken from. It's from a book called Elpis Israel, which was written by John Thomas, one of the founders of the Christadelphian movement. And he wrote that book in the mid 1800s. Now, since that book was written, the world's population has increased greatly. But the wonder of planet Earth that we live in has not diminished. In fact, with the technological advancements that we have today, we've been able to explore, photograph and research this Earth in greater detail than ever before. Bible believers, we believe that it is God Almighty that created all these things in the beginning. If you've got a Bible handy, can you to the very first book of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 1, where we have the record of creation. Let's remind ourselves what God said after he made everything upon this earth. one of Genesis 1 that we want to look at. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were day. Days, God created everything that we see around us and he declared it very good and uh, hopefully you're seeing the video that's playing it might be um, a little bit jumpy uh, on the transmission but hopefully you'll get the idea behind it the wonders of the world in which we live now the pinnacle of God's uh, man himself and in Genesis chapter one and two, we have the first man and the first woman that were created, Adam and Eve. And they were given a very special role in creation. Let's have a look at verse uh, 26 of Genesis chapter one. And God said, let us make man in our image after our life. Dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So man then was given dominion over the earth. As the, the greatest, if you like, God's creation, man was entrusted with the creation of God. It was his to look after. It's repeated in a similar fashion in chapter 2 and verse 15, where uh, God placed man in the Garden of Eden, first of all, 
Um, and they were told to do something with it. Uh, verse 15, Genesis 2, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress and to keep it. And the word keep there, it means to hedge about. It means to protect. So how has man done in looking after God's creation? That dominion that's been given to man, has man been a good steward of the things that God has entrusted him with? Well, unfortunately, it's not gone well at all. And today in 2020, this world is afflicted with many problems that directly affects our planet that is associated with man's dominion over the planet. Let's just briefly think about um, some of these um, problems. Uh, we can think of climate change, which is regularly in the news. Um, the planet, according to NASA, uh, the average surface temperature has risen about 1.6 degrees Fahrenheit or 0.9 degrees Celsius since the late 19th century. And most of this warming has occurred in the past 35 years. Now that might sound uh, not very much, but the effects of it are significant. So um, Greenland lost an average of 286 billion tonnes of ice every year between 1993 and 2016. And Antarctica lost 127 billion tonnes of ice per year during the same period. Now just to put that into uh, some sort of uh, context. Um, that's around 2.8 billion articulated lorries worth of ice. So if you think of a big Arctic lorry full of ice, imagine 2.8 billion of those uh, lorries. Or to put it another way, enough of those lorries in a big queue end to end going 1,152 times around the earth. This is it's very huge, very significant uh, loss of ice in these regions that uh, have so much ice and then the resultant impacts of that of flooding in certain areas and um, the earth drying in other areas. So climate change is a big problem. We have the effects of, of pollution and poor air quality. Uh, it's estimated that um, in 2016 that there were 4.2 million premature deaths as a result of pollution and, and sadly this affects most of the poor countries of the world rather than the rich countries. We have deforestation. Um, forests cover about 30% of the earth's land but it's estimated that within a hundred years if we carry on uh, cutting the forest down at the rate we do that in a hundred years there will be no rainforests left uh, and the stats are, are quite staggering um, there's one and a half acres of forests are cut down every single second in this world. That means that in the last 10 minutes, so um, since we've been speaking or, or thereabouts, uh, some 900 acres of forest or 680 football pitches have been deforested. We also have the problem of overpopulation. Um, the book that we quoted um, in Alpes Israel at that time in the mid 1800s the population of the world was about a billion. There are now something like 7.6 billion people 
in the world. Uh, and whilst it took all that time from creation to the mid-1800s to get to a billion, it only took 12 years for the world's population to grow from 6 billion to 7 billion. That happened between 1999 and 2011. And, and it's increasing at an exponential rate. So how does the world feed all these people? Are there enough resources for all these people of the world? And perhaps uh, a topical one over the last um, few years and particularly the campaign by uh, David Attenborough, um, the way that we are um, polluting the oceans and in particular plastics that are getting into the world's oceans and it's estimated that some 12.7 million tonnes of plastics from everything from plastic bottles to bags to microbeads end up in our oceans each year and so again to put that into context that's like into of this rubbish a huge truck of this rubbish into the sea every minute and the terrible consequences to marine wildlife as a result so when we think about that we that God declared in the beginning very good, is the world in which we live in on an upward spiral? Is it getting better and better environmentally wise? Well, the answer to that is clearly no. It's getting worse, isn't it? It's on a downward spiral. Now, interestingly, this is something that the Bible said would happen. Uh, can you turn with me, please, to Romans and chapter 8? Let's have a look at some words in the New Testament. So Romans chapter 8. And um, we're going to go in at verse 19. So Romans chapter 8, verse 19 says, For the earnest expectation of the creature, or the creation, as is better rendering, waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature or the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope, because the creature or creation itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption and to the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. So these verses tell us that the creation is in a state of decay. It's corrupting. It's getting worse and worse. It's in a downward spiral. And as it says there, it's groaning, it's travaileth in pain. Um, we won't turn to it, but there's some similar words in the prophet uh, Jeremiah, where he says, How long shall the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither for the wickedness of them that dwell therein? The beasts are consumed and the birds because they said he shall not see our last end. Before we come to look at what the Bible's answer to this problem is, let's first just consider what the response of man has been. Because with our scientific um, uh, progress, man has identified this as a problem. There's, there's many news reports that we hear about. And there's been a campaign, hasn't there, for many, many years to try and deal with these environmental problems. And perhaps one of the, the climax uh, to those was the um, undertaking, a global undertaking 
of the uh, Paris Climate Agreement um, that was signed on the 22nd of April 2016. And this was when all the major um, governments of the world agreed to combat climate change and to move to a, a low carbon future. And they signed up to various co commitments to reduce carbon consumption. Now, this has been uh, a contentious um, accord. Uh, many people would say that it's not ambitious enough. Uh, other countries have already reneged on it. And uh, Donald Trump in America is um, the prime example of that. In fact, he pulled the US out of um, the Paris Climate Agreement. It looks like um, his successor is likely to, to bring them um, back in. But that was nearly five years ago now. And there's been a lot in the news uh, just recently about whether the Paris Agreement is on on track. So um, here's an article from just a few days ago. Climate change five years on from Paris Agreement is Europe on track to hit the deal's targets and there is real concerns that Europe is not on target to hit those uh, accords. And, and the UN um, again just very recently, um, I think I pulled this off the website yesterday, uh, world needs to declare climate emergency uh, UN and, and uh, they're asking all the nations of the world to recommit to what they set out to do before and so there is a real concern that at a political level that enough is not being done and the situation is getting worse and, and the situation is accelerating in terms of how bad it's getting. So man's responded with these uh, political uh, initiatives but there's also a real push for us as individuals to change our behaviour and to change the way that, that we live, uh, the personal changes if you like. We've been encouraged over the last few years to recycle, um, so the way our rubbish is collected has changed quite significantly over the last few years. Um, we're encouraged to share cars, although not so much with the coronavirus uh, at, at the moment. Um, but electric cars are, are coming to the fore and the UK government's committed to phasing out the combustion engine. There's um, efforts to increase the insulation in our house so that we consume uh, less energy. And a lot of people are promoting um, going vegetarian. So eat less red meat because um, livestock uses a lot of the resources of this world and it's more efficient environmentally to grow plants than it is uh, to grow uh, or to breed uh, animals. So those are some of the things that we as individuals um, are encouraged to do. Now there are one or two others that uh, have seen what's happening with the world and, and they have a slightly more radical view of what needs to be done and uh, one of those individuals is uh, Elon Musk um, who owns SpaceX and Tesla amongst other um, companies. He's a very wealthy and successful individual and uh, Elon Musk has said for some years now that the only hope that mankind has is to become a multi-planet civilization and so uh, he's developing or trying to develop um, space technology to um, get to Mars and to start a colony of people on 
the planet Mars. And um, there was a test of the um, the ship that they're designing, uh, the um, the shuttle that they're designing, the rocket, um, just in the last week, and um, it did was fairly successful. It did crash on landing, but uh, much work uh, still to be done. Now, um, I think the idea of going to Mars at, at one level sounds quite quite exciting, doesn't it? It's quite an interesting thing uh, to see happening. But let's just stop and think about that for a moment. Is Mars uh, really a viable location for mankind to move to? At best, it's a desert. It's full of sand and rocks. Um, now, the difference between Mars and the desert on Earth is that on Earth you can breathe in the desert. On Mars there's no uh, livable atmosphere. So when you compare what the environment is like on planet Mars to that of the Earth, why would we think that is a sensible solution to the problems that mankind faces? Well, let's just stop and think about why we're facing these environmental difficulties today. What is the, the root of the problem? Well, I'm going to suggest to you it's greed, as shown in the, the cartoon uh, on the screen. Man has an insatiable appetite for more, for more wealth, for more prosperity, for more cars, for more travel, or whatever it might be. And the way that the countries of the world assess their economic output by their gross domestic product is about how much stuff we produce, how much stuff we make. And that is at variance to some of these um, uh, environmental issues that uh, we're facing. And there's a lot of concern, isn't there, that GDP is massively down globally this year because of the coronavirus and government's trying to prepare, repair that and get back to where we were before. But what has the Bible to say about this? Well, come with me, please, to the Gospel of Luke and the 12th chapter, because the Lord Jesus Christ gives a parable about a man who wanted more. Uh, and I think this parable, in my mind anyway, aptly sums up what um, societies of the world today are like, particularly Western uh, society. It's very materialistic. Let's have a look at it. Luke chapter 12 and verse 16 says, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, now has much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink and be merry. So this man had um, a, a very uh, successful life uh, to start with, but then he wanted more. He wanted to build bigger barns and greater barns. And just note how many times the word I or the word my appears in those few verses. And just when he'd accumulated all of this wealth, all of these goods, he was uh, putting his feet up. He was eating and drinking. What happened to him? Well, verse 20, but God said unto him, now fall this night, thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards 
God. So the Bible explains that there's much more to life than the pursuit of riches. And there's a spiritual lesson here because it contrasts seeking after the things of God, which the Bible is concerned about. Look at verse 15. He said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. So the things that we are accumulating, the things of prosperity and wealth, that's not really what true life and true living should be all about. So how should we live our lives then? There's a strong inference here in this parable that we shouldn't um, be greedy. Um, but cover me please to 1 Timothy chapter 6. You know, how far should we take this? Well, here's some um, lessons that we can learn from First uh, Timothy chapter 6 and um, verse 9 says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a stare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of many is the root of all evil, for while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So it's the pursuit of money that constantly wanting more, wanting bigger houses, wanting uh, nicer holidays. It's that love of the money uh, that the Bible identifies as a problem to us. So how should we live our lives? Well, verse six um, so puts the, hits the nail on the head, so to speak. Uh, 1 Timothy 6 verse six, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and he's certain we can carry nothing out and having food and raiment, let us be there with content. So the Bible tells us so if we've got enough food to eat, if we've got clothes to wear, we should be happy with that. Why should we strive for more? Godliness is the thing to pursue after. So the Bible's teaching us that there's more to life than the stuff that's uh, around us, the things that man has tried to accumulate and we'll try and develop that a little bit as we go through. Well let's just stop and, and ask ourselves a, a slightly different question um, for a moment. Uh, let's have a think about what the greatest environmental disaster known to man is. Now as you're pondering that you might be thinking of the Exxon Valdez uh, oil spill or uh, the Chernobyl uh, nuclear incident or the tsunami that affected Japan uh, or the one that happened on, on Boxing Day a few years ago and uh, 200,000 people sadly lost their lives or you might be thinking of a volcano or some other environmental disaster. But all of those things that we can think about in our recent history, they're, they're not the greatest environmental disaster known to man. In fact, the greatest environmental disaster known to man is the one that's recorded in the Bible. And it's the worldwide flood that happened in the time of Noah. Let's have a look at that for a moment. Let's go back to Genesis chapter six. And um, this event um, affected the population of the world. Um, it affected the, the animals and the plants more than anything that had gone before it and certainly anything that has gone after it. 
And the question is, well, why did it happen? Why was the, this um, worldwide flood, this environmental catastrophe? Well, let's have a look at Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. When we're told, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and as every imagination and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. So God was grieved because he had made man. Why? Well, because man was wicked. Man was doing whatever he wanted to do. Man had turned away from God. And so as a consequence in verse seven, and the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air. And the way he was going to do that was by the waters of a flood. If you come down to verse um, 11, it says, and the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth now it's interesting that word corrupt isn't it because that's the word that we saw in romans that the creation is in this is in this state of corruption it's in this downward spiral now it's interesting that the uh, environmental issues of today are by and large caused by man's greed it's caused by man turning away from how god would have us live our lives now we don't know specifically what the environmental conditions were before the flood in the time of noah we know that the population of the earth had grown quite extensively we've mentioned that this morning that there might have been a billion maybe two billion people uh, on the earth it's very possible that what they were doing was uh, causing an impact on the creation and an impact on the animals um, we, we don't know uh, the details of that but the issue that god had with mankind was man's moral condition and we're suggesting that this is at the root of the earth's problems and so in the time of noah god sent this great flood and it was a complete catastrophe what happened let's have a look at verse 18 of genesis chapter 7 and the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth and the ark went upon the face of the waters and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail. The mountains were covered. Verse 21, Genesis 7. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beasts and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land died and every living substance was destroyed which was upon the face of the ground both man and cattle and the creeping things and the fowl of the heaven and they were destroyed from the earth and there's a repetition in the text here how they all died all the animals died all the uh, plants were covered with the water and all the men and women all of mankind was uh, destroyed in this great environmental disaster and if that had been the end of it that would have been the end of mankind god could have decided to destroy everybody at that point but there's a but middle of verse 23 and noah 
only remained alive and they that were with him in the ark. You see, Noah was saved. Why was he saved? Well, because he was faithful, because Noah tried to follow the ways of God. If we come back to Genesis 6 and verse 9, we're told these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations and Noah walked with God. So the principles that Noah was trying to live his life by were the same as what God had intended in the beginning and that's why God saved Noah because of his actions and because of the way that he lived his life and he protected Noah and the, the animals in that ark and so when uh, he came uh, out of um, the ark oops I've gone on one too many on my slides apologies just go back uh, so when Noah uh, came out of uh, the ark and um, if we come to Genesis chapter 9 so when the waters uh, subsided and uh, Noah was able to come out onto dry land again God made a really important promise with Noah and uh, we've got the details of this in Genesis chapter 9 and uh, verse 9 where it says and I beheld I established my covenant with you that's with Noah and with your seed after you and with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl of the cattle and of every beast of the earth with you and of all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of the flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. So God covenanted that he wouldn't destroy the earth again with the waters of a flood. And, and God gave it a token of that promise and that token is the rainbow every time we see a rainbow in the sky that's God's promise that he would not destroy the earth and so what then do we learn then about the time of Noah well I think what we learn is that God is not concerned about the environmental state of the world per se but he's more concerned with the moral state of man which as a result as a consequence brings about these environmental issues this environmental damage through man's greed let's come to um, the new testament now let's go to uh, revelation chapter 11 so let, let's take it forward will in the affairs of mankind let's have a look at revelation chapter 11 and verse 18 where we read and the nations were angry and thy wrath is come and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants the prophets and to the saints and them that fear thy name small and great and them but destroy the earth so there's a consequence then on those that destroy the earth now it's interesting that this word destroy it means corrupt so it's man's corruption man's moral corruption that has as a result uh, ended up corrupting the earth destroying the earth uh, and God says that he's going to deal with these people that there's going to be consequences for those who live their lives in this way so how's that going to 
come about? Well, come with me, please, to Matthew chapter 24, because there's a very strong link between how God's going to do this and, and what happened in the days of Noah. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, and uh, we're going to have a look at verse um, 37. Matthew 24, verse 37 says, but as it was, but sorry, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So who is this Son of Man? Well, the Son of Man is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us very clearly that there is coming a day when Jesus will return to this earth to judge this world and to set up God's kingdom upon the earth. Uh, and this is going to happen when the times that the world or the conditions that the world lives in are similar to the time of Noah. Uh, and I would suggest the conditions of the world today are indeed very similar to the age that Noah lived in, when by and large people have turned away from God, that they don't by and large keep God's commandments and follow his precepts. So God is going to intervene in the affairs of man and he's going to set up his kingdom on the earth with his son raising, reigning as king on this earth. When God does that, when Jesus returns, what is this kingdom going to be like? Well, let's go to the reading that we had read in Isaiah chapter 65. Because the Bible clearly talks about a renewal of the earth when Jesus returns. Isaiah chapter 65 and uh, verse 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into minds. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. So there's going to be this new heavens and a new earth, a time of a renewal. It's a renewal because Jesus is going to be king. And first and foremost, it's going to be a spiritual renewal because Jesus is going to establish a new world order. The politicians and kings of this world will be made to follow the ways of God and the whole earth will hear about the teaching of God and will be are made to keep the principles and the commandments by which God intended man to live in the beginning. And as this spiritual renewal uh, starts to take hold upon this planet, then the natural world will also be renewed as well. And there'll be this gradual um, bringing us back to the time of creation when God declared the creation very good and we, and we get a sense of of how what this is going to be in this chapter in Isaiah 65 and there's many other fantastic prophecies that we could have gone to uh, which talk about similar things um, let's just pick up a, a just a couple of these these points uh, verse 21 and they shall build houses and inhabit them this is talking about the people of the world and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them they shall not build and another inhabit they shall not plant and another eat for as the days of a tree are as the days of my people and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. So here we have a, 
a return to subsistence living. It's building your own house and living in it. It's growing your own produce and eating it. You know, the world today is becoming incredibly complex with global trade and the inequalities that that brings across the globe. But life in the kingdom will be very different to that. And then we have a revival of the animal kingdom as well. Verse 25, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock and the dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, saith the Lord. So there's this peace and renewal in the animal kingdom as well. And other passages that we could go to talk about the deserts blooming and a handful of corn being found in the top of the mountains. So will man destroy the earth? Well, the answer to that is no. not because man is going to solve the problems that this earth faces, but rather God is going to intervene and he's going to send his son as the saviour of planet earth and mankind upon it. And that salvation doesn't just um, affect the earth, doesn't just affect creation, but it affects us as individuals as well. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoso believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. So the world is saved through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we individuals can be saved through his work as well. If we believe in him, if we recognise the need for our sins to be forgiven through the Lord Jesus Christ, if we go through the waters of baptism and if we try to the best of our ability to uh, follow the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives, that when Jesus returns, that through his grace, that we'll have that opportunity to be in God's kingdom, that we'll see that creation once again made very good as it was in the beginning. Finally, I'd like us to conclude by going to Revelation chapter 21. Uh, symbolic language we could uh, comment on here, but it's this time of renewal in the kingdom age. And I want you to note three and four. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, neither shall there be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And what a wonderful vision that is, that sin and death itself will be eradicated from off this earth. And the crying and the sorrow that we see all around us today will be a thing of the past. So the Bible outlines a wonderful hope uh, for us, and I would urge all of you to think very carefully about it, to inquire of it, to read the Bible and to accept the saving name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks very much for listening.